The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. You do not have to know that you are in sin to be lost. You do not have to know that you are in sin to be lost. All men are lost. The greatest need of this hour is for men and women to finally get honest with Jesus about their true heart's condition. It's hard to know what our true heart's condition is if we have consistently rejected the voice of the Holy Spirit as he has come to us and tried to speak to our hearts and said, lay this aside, don't go there, don't touch that, come this way, walk with me here. If we have pushed that voice away, if we have not spent many hours, days, weeks, years, in the Word of God, searching it out. How can we be saved? Ignorance is not salvation. Americanism is not salvation. I have sometimes said to the Lord, Lord, can any of us in America be saved? We have so many distractions. We have so many urgencies. We have so much that needs to be done. We have so much entertainment. We have so many technologies to function with. Can we be saved? Why would I say that? Because there must be a revelation of God in our hearts that we could begin to apprehend the truth that he wants to give to us. And if we're too busy, and we don't have time, and we don't have energy, and the Holy Spirit is not able to get through to our hearts, how can we be saved? I want to read a scripture for you. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm so glad you're listening today. God has given me a message that I think will lift your heart and inspire you and fill your heart with desire for Jesus. Romans, the third chapter. I'll begin with verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. I'd like to share some of my journey with this word justification. As I was raised in the Seventh-day Adventist church, 
their teaching was very clear regarding the way of salvation. They illustrated it in the book Great Controversy by Ellen White as being in a rowboat and one oar is faith and the other oar is works. And so faith and works work together. So as you receive the free gift of salvation called justification, you then work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And you do that in the Adventist paradigm by working hard, by trying hard. Pastor Venden gave a college workshop week of prayer. He said, you are the pilot, and Jesus sits beside you as the co-pilot. That was the teaching I received, both at home and as I went through college and graduate school. It was a faith works deal. I used to laughingly say it's it's a free gift with strings. And the strings are, you must obey the law. You must live a righteous life. This was problematic for me. I have to tell you that from the very earliest memories I have, as a child of four and five and six years of age, I had a great desire in my heart to do things the right way. I wanted Jesus, and I would sometimes be so overcome by my sin, the sin of lying or fighting with my brothers or reading comic books, which my dad told me would take me to hell. I would be so overcome that I would just, I would just cry. And my mom and dad would say, Raymond, what's the problem? And I would answer, I don't know what to do with my sin. I would go to church and I would listen to the fiery pastor preach about hell. And I would sit there and I would cry and say, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. So very early in my life, this legalistic holiness teaching caused me great concern and pain and anguish in my heart. Then this word justification kept popping up. In fact, I took a class in seminary from a professor who was under the great teacher Burkauer. He was a Dutch professor. And I took a class in justification by faith. The teaching that I received in that class and that I found reading Burkauer's book on sanctification very simply taught that justification is pardon for sin and it is a free gift. 
that Jesus pardons our sin, that he did that on Calvary. He did that when he died as an atoning sacrifice on the cross. And I grasp at that like a drowning man. I wanted more than anything else for my sins to be forgiven, for my sins to be wiped out, because all I wanted, even way back then, simply to know Jesus. And I used to go by a classroom in my undergraduate days, and there was a professor by the name of Minchin. He taught a class on New Testament theology. And I would go and stand at his class door and listen as he talked about Jesus. And I would cry. I'd never heard a man talk about Jesus like this man did. It was obvious to me that he knew Jesus Christ. He knew him intimately. And he talked in such beautiful, winsome ways about the stories of Jesus' life. Now, I had taken New Testament theology from another professor, and this professor was very cut and dried, and we had to memorize all manner of foolishness about the trips Jesus made and how far it was from one city to another and just the facts, nothing but the facts. Well, I cared about the facts, but not nearly as much as I cared about who was Jesus. There was such discontent in my heart because I kept working so hard at being righteous. And I kept failing so badly. And I would preach about justification being forensic, being a legal declaration of the forgiveness of sins. It was all a legal issue. It was very orthodox. My heart was lonely. The orthodoxy was dry and brittle, and to me it was ugly. I moved increasingly toward what was called in that day relational theology. I I kept asking questions. Keith Miller wrote a book that was very popular in that day, Dr. Keith Miller. I read it like a drowning man. And basically, he said, don't worry about being righteous, just worry about being in healthy relationships. Just tell the truth to each other. If you'll tell the truth, you'll have a healthy friendship and a healthy relationship. I've since learned that's not true. Truth is not the highest standard, unless it is Jesus. And Jesus' truth is defined by love. 
I lost friends over this issue. They would say to me, Ray, why can't you stop asking all of these questions and just settle down and enjoy life with us? Remember one young man in seminary? It actually broke our friendship. He wouldn't speak with me anymore. He said, if you ever ask me one more question, I'll never speak with you again. And of course, out popped, well, why would you do that? And he said, that's your question. I'm done with you. (laughs) I'm sorry. The most urgent and burning issue of my life has been for how the gates of righteousness could be opened in truth to my heart and my life that I could live in righteousness. I get it. I'm justified. My sins are forgiven. But I lived in Romans 7. Let me read it for you. I find this law at work, Romans 7.21. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am! And then the answer, Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But I didn't understand how that worked. I could give that on an exam. I could explain that in a sermon, but I didn't know the actual reality of how Jesus delivers me. So I went to my first church, and an old bald-headed man, one of the head elders, came out, took my hand. I was just a young man in my 20s. my first sermon at the church, shook my hand and he said, Pastor Greenland, would you teach us about Jesus? And I said, oh, yes, of course I will. But I was lying because in my heart I knew I didn't know Jesus. I had no entrance into his righteousness. I knew my past sins were forgiven, but now, what about my sins today? What about my character? What about the way I function? What about how easy it is for me to lie? What about how easy it is for me to be ambitious and arrogant? And what about how easy it is for me to duck and dodge and please everybody and not please anybody? What do I do with my character? And all I would get is, Just do your best, Ray. Do your best. That's all you can do. Do your best. So I tried to do my best. But I knew in my heart my best was not adequate. I knew that I was wretched and miserable, blind and naked. And I couldn't find any way through this with justification. Now, another thing Paul talks about here in the seventh chapter, he 
the very commandment that he was talking about intended to bring life actually brought death to me. This is Romans seven eleven for sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but that which I hate I do. If I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature, where I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. I was in agony of soul over this issue, and I could not find any way through it. Then I began to hear another gospel. And this gospel taught very simply that the moral requirements of the law are no longer in effect on the New Testament Christian. I began to hear the teaching of the Reformed Church. That in fact, when a man is justified, he is saved. I remember I hosted teacher in the Seventh-day Adventist Church at my church in Rockville, Maryland. He taught this. He was a very eloquent Australian. And he taught very clearly that we are justified by faith. And in the Adventist church, there's always been this struggle over justification. Today, there's not nearly the hard line that there was when I was a pastor in that denomination, and that was, wow, 30 years ago. But in that day, there was a very hard line on the issue of justification and then being responsible to keep the law. Of course, they would say with Jesus helping you. Today, the Adventist church has moved much more toward the assurance of salvation and the Reformed position. It has more and more become a mainline evangelical denomination. Walter Martin, the original Bible answer man, said that the Seventh-day Adventist Church was a cult. And that stirred a number of top leaders in the Adventist Church to write a, a volume called Questions and Answers on Doctrine. And of course, in that, they softened the position of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And the book was adopted 
and then at a later date, it was renounced and removed from the publishing house, Review and Herald Publishing. It's been a constant issue in the Adventist church over what is justification and what is what is it that gives a man standing before God. All of that was flowing in my heart, and I began to hear this wonderful news that says, all of your sins were forgiven at the cross, past, present, and future. And that when you once receive the grace of God, you then are forever saved. And you can have absolute assurance of your salvation if you will simply accept Jesus as your Savior. Well, of course, always the criticism that comes up as well in the book of Romans is that if you preach this message of justification by faith, meaning there's a legal forgiving of all past sins, and then you take the position that all present sin is also forgiven, you don't need to repent anymore, and all future sin is forgiven, and God loves you unconditionally, if you take that position, the charge is that you will slowly begin to drift more and more into wickedness and sin. And of course, that's exactly what has happened in the American church. And I have to be very frank with you. That is what happened in my life. I found a modicum of peace in that theology. I left the Adventist church. And I moved into independent ministry. And there I began to teach that a man can be saved by accepting Jesus Christ, that the forensic work of the gospel covers your sin, that you are forgiven past, present, and future. The work of God was finished at the cross. And I used to say in sermons, a man standing is determined by what Jesus did at the cross, plus nothing. For a long time, that satisfied my heart. Maybe ten years. But then, I saw the fruit of my teaching being borne out in the congregation that I was pastoring. I saw that it was becoming increasingly a church of social connections. I ran a Friday evening mixing group, and we would have a 100-plus people come to that, hook up with dating, and off they'd go. I began to be involved in social concerns, all of which were right, I was deeply involved in employment issues, helping people to find jobs and learn how to do resumes. And For some time, we put 
more than a thousand people a year back into full-time employment at no charge to them. All good works. The church prospered. But there was sin creeping into that church, even as it was creeping into my life. There was a lack of concern about holiness. Everything was focused on positive thinking and how to build healthy relationships and strategies for success. And people were hungry for this understanding. But I saw that righteousness was losing ground. And I finally came to a point in my life of great crisis. And I began to cry out to God. And the old battle resumed in my heart over this issue of righteousness. How can a man be made righteous? I get it that I'm justified. My sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future. The work of Jesus was finished on the cross. I get all that. God's love is unconditional. I get all of that. Now, what about my righteousness before God? How can he accept me? And they would say, Pastor, don't worry about it. Jesus paid the price on Calvary. Your sin is covered. Covered by the blood of Jesus. You don't have to worry about it. Just do the best you can do. Well, wait a minute. I heard that once before. That's what I was taught at the Seventh-day Adventist church. Just do the best you can do. Try harder. Go to seminars and workshops and learn strategies and learn social rituals. Educate yourself in in counseling. So I went to become a certified pastoral counselor, psychotherapist. My heart was still empty. I would do a weekend conference on intimacy. And when the conference was over, everybody went home, had great information, loved the conference, Pastor. But my heart was empty. I felt utterly alone and abandoned. No, I wasn't righteous before God. I knew something was wrong. I was over walking in Potomac Mills Mall one day, just struggling with this issue. And my church secretary from the Rockville Seventh-day Adventist Church was sitting at a kiosk, and I began to speak with her. It was wonderful to see her again. She'd been a wonderful secretary and a wonderful friend. And she said, is your heart at peace? And I said, no. I don't know how to be saved. Oh, I hear the teaching that's being given, but it doesn't satisfy my heart. I'm 
I said, I'm coming to the conclusion that somehow I have to find the ability to do better. I'm not doing my life the way I know it needs to be done. I can't lie to myself. She became very offended. She too had left the Adventist church. She was now part of a of another congregation. And when I said to her, you know, maybe maybe the Adventists were right. Maybe our past sins have been forgiven and now we just have to really double down and work hard. She didn't want to talk to me anymore. I frankly haven't seen her since. That was a number of years ago. My heart was so heavy and broken. I hope you're understanding the journey I'm trying to describe for you of desperately seeking after Jesus and not finding the intellectual answers that would allow me to rest in Jesus Christ. Now maybe you're at peace in your heart and maybe you're happy to live without concern about justification and without righteousness and without you just have a nice little fuzzy relationship with Jesus. I open this broadcast today by saying you don't have to know you're a sinner. You don't have to know that you're out of line with God to be lost. All men are lost until they come into a relationship with Jesus Christ that totally transforms them into a new creature. And I knew I had not been transformed into a new creature. I knew I had not been born again. And those scriptures say you must be born again. And I was a religious preacher who had devoted my life to searching out the truth of justification. And I had come up empty and I had no answers and I was utterly broken before God. And I didn't know where to turn. Everywhere I turned, everyone had different opinions. But I'd walked long enough in this search for Jesus that I knew opinions meant nothing. I wanted the truth. I wanted to know how to be made righteous. Now there's a strange thing that's talked about here in the seventh chapter of of Romans. And it's true. It was true in my life. It's true in every person's life. When you begin to understand the hideousness of sin, when the Holy Spirit begins to unveil for you, when the Holy Spirit begins to strip away all of the foolishness of the human heart, all the entertainment, all of the the lies of our culture, and you begin to see that that no one is righteous, that no one seeks God, that all have turned away. Romans 3, verses 10 
and forward. No one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. When you finally come to an understanding of what the true nature of our human heart is and the wickedness that resides in it, when you begin to get a picture of of the bitterness and the anger in the human heart, and you begin to have a deep conviction in your heart, the immediate response of the normal human heart is to say, okay, I get it. I'm a mess. I'm going to do better. And the human heart begins to struggle valiantly to improve itself. And when it fails, tries again. And when it fails, tries again. And when it fails, it tries harder. And by trying hard, you can force the outward alignment of your life to look like what you want it to look like. Some men, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, some of these men heard great preachers railing against sin and against the wickedness of the human heart, and they determined they would do better. That's the immediate human response. And then when finally the discovery comes that you can't do better, you can't can't stop the wicked thoughts from flowing through your mind, you can't stop the lust from rising in your heart, you can't stop the the feelings, the, the desire to do harm to another person who has harmed you, vengeance rises in your soul. Ambition, the love of money, lying. You know the old saying, are you a liar? If you say no, then you've just proven you're a liar because all men are liars. This rises up in the heart. And now you have to go one of two ways. You either have to buy a comforting theology that says, look, the morality of the New Testament is much less than the morality of the Old Testament. Of course, when you say that, you have to face what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You have to face the reality that Jesus said, if you look at a woman in lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. That if you get angry with your brother, you've already murdered him. So, So Jesus is saying that the morality level is higher in the New Testament and the keeping of the law is higher in the New Testament than in the Old. The Old dealt with externals, but Jesus made the law deal with the internals as well. And so now you must either settle into a cheap theological teaching that says Jesus 
when he sees you, doesn't see you. He sees himself. And don't worry about it. You're saved. Your past, present, future sins are all forgiven. You're covered. Don't worry about it. Just live your life and enjoy. One pastor said, no, when you go to church, just have a good time. Life is a party because you're saved. You can never be lost. No matter what you do, you can't be kicked out of the family. You're in solid. So just enjoy your life and try to do your best. Try to be a good person. Well, I discovered that that's a worse legalism than the Adventist ever could have come up with. The Reformed teaching is utter legalism. So you're always going to workshops. You're always going to self-improvement things. You're never good enough. You've always got to struggle and strive and pay money to go to these foolish workshops. Learn the strategies to be successful and positive and Christian. Go to marriage workshops and go to this workshop and go to that one. It's always trying to learn and to advance and the worst sort of legalism. You either have to do that or you or you have to go back into total sin and just say it's all it's all fake. Many have done that. I speak with many people who just don't go to church anymore. They found other ways to direct their energy and their time and their money. Many have gone to social justice issues. Most of the Democrats today have totally left the Christian church. They're of no faith. I wasn't content to go either way. I knew there had to be another way. I just couldn't find it. I spent countless hours on my knees crying out to God, asking that he would show me another way. Then a friend gave me a book by Dr. Lavender, entitled The Sinning Christian. I was going on vacation. My wife and I were flying to Florida. We took the book along. Frankly, that was a mistake. It ruined our vacation. We spent no time on the beach. We spent hours reading and devouring this book as it carefully went through the theologies that I'd struggled with all of my life. And then it finally revealed a truth so stunning that I wondered how I'd missed it. And when I discovered it, peace of God flowed into my heart. You look with me, it's very clear that the law still in effect today. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning, and what is sinning? 
First John tells us that sinning is lawlessness. In other words, if I cast the law out of my life and I no longer have regard for it, I'm going to deliberately sin. So what place does the law have in the life of a Christian? We're called to repent, but what is it that we repent of? Well, you say we repent of our sin, but what is sin? Sin is lawlessness. So literally, when we repent as a Christian, we are repenting, breaking the law. Ten Commandments, the law of Jesus, the law of love to God and man. We're breaking the law. It says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. What was the sacrifice of Jesus for? Wasn't it to cover our sins? to erase our sin, to remove it from us. Verse 27, But only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. This is what I was faced with. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him. I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. The blood of the covenant sanctifies? Could it possibly mean that? That truth jumped out at me. And I began to look in the Bible and I won't go into it now, but I will later. Sanctification or sanctified means to be made holy. To be holy, you have to have your past sins forgiven. But then you also have to be changed. You have to keep the law. The law of Jesus. Or the law of sin and death will rule in your heart. Well, I tried as hard as I could, and I couldn't do it. So what is the answer? What I discovered was that it was not until, it is not until a man and a woman has tried with their utmost to keep the law, who has tried and failed time after time, that a person finally comes to an end of himself or herself. And that place of coming to an end of ourselves is called in the Scripture by Jesus being born from above. It's something God steps in and does. It's referred to also as deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Follow Jesus where? Where was he going when he said, follow me? He was going to Golgotha. He was going to offer his life as a sacrifice of atonement. We also go to that cross and are crucified with Christ Jesus. And then he pulls us through the cross. And he writes his law on our hearts. 
the word justification been corrupted in our culture. It comes from the word dikasune in the Greek. It literally means to be rendered righteous. That is, rendering is when you put meat on the stove to boil and you render it. The fat comes off and it's scooped off. Well, dikasune is literally not saying you are just legally forgiven. The word to justify means to be rendered innocent, to be made righteous. So what Jesus did on the cross was to provide what was necessary for my sins to be forgiven, past sins, present sins. And then he also stepped in and by his blood makes a man righteous. If a man is willing to give up and trust himself totally and completely to Jesus and say, Jesus, I give up my life. I now come to you, Jesus. I now come and I receive from you the gift of salvation. And the gift of salvation includes my sins being forgiven and being made holy, being made righteous. I'll read it for you. First John. I'll begin in chapter 3. Verse 2, Dear friends, now we are children of God, but what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears we shall be like him. In other words, we will not be a sinner, for we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. How do you purify yourself? By being crucified with Christ. It's his work. Jesus is the one who makes us righteous. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. Past, present, and future. So that we don't continue to walk in sin. Verse 6. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. When we live in Christ Jesus... We do not sin. John Wesley said, perfection is is love to God and love to man. Walking in love is perfection. He says, no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. In other words, if you know Jesus, he has made you righteous, and you're a new creature. Dear children, Do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. I want to add, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work in yours 
and my heart. Salvation is a free gift and there are no strings. Salvation in Jesus Christ is a free gift and there are no strings. It is by faith and faith alone. It is by faith that my past sins are forgiven and washed away. It is by faith that I repent now of every known sin and it is removed from my life. It is by faith that I walk in the future as a righteous man because Jesus Christ makes me righteous. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. This is 1 John 3, verse 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. That doesn't mean he's going to be perfectly mature. It doesn't mean that this baby that's just born is going to be an adult. Not yet. We're going to grow up in Christ. It's not sin to be immature. It's sin to be in rebellion against him. It's sin to set ourselves against the will of God. This is why I say we must search out the scriptures. We must spend every moment we have searching for the righteousness of God and asking that the gates of righteousness be opened before us. Psalm 118. Open the gates of righteousness. Psalm 26. Who can enter? Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? There is a place that is totally beyond anything most of us have even begun to imagine. A glorious place of joy and peace and love. A place where we are made righteous in Jesus Christ. That's available to you today. Does that stir your heart like it does mine? I have walked in such peace, in such joy, in certainty knowing my salvation because I'm walking clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. He washed me. He changed me. It's not a struggle. It's not by the law. It's by the blood of Jesus. He has washed and made me into a new creature in Christ Jesus. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him, he cannot go on sinning. If you are continuing to sin, it is because you have not yet been crucified with Christ Jesus. That becomes top priority. That becomes the great cry of our hearts. And I want to tell you today in advance, Jesus will meet you if you will, you will go to him. He will not condemn you. He will wash you and make you clean. He will forgive your sins and he will make you right. Almighty God, I come by your precious blood thanking me, thanking you for making me into your image. Thanking you, O Lord Jesus, for coming and dying on Calvary and shedding your blood that I could be washed. 
I could be made clean. Lord, I pray for every person listening to this broadcast that has struggled with this issue of justification and righteousness. Would you open for them the understanding from your word as they as they study and as they pray and as they confess their sins? Lord, would you bring deep conviction that they would not be walkers after the law, but would be walkers after you? Draw them through the cross into victory. Lord, thank you for each person. Minister to their to their heart now. Thank you, Jesus. I praise and I worship you and I honor you. Thank you. I pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, a pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's National prayerchapel.com God bless you my brother, my sister, I love you in Jesus I want to see you walk victorious in the power of the Spirit by the blood I want you to have victory over your sin I'll talk to you soon Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to Present you blameless before the presence of his glory.